0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 254, and it's my conversation with Steve Brawnius, the writer. Um, He's got a brand new book out called Missing Persons. It's a second volume of his crime reporting. Um, I mentioned that to give the book a plug, and also we do talk about it a bit during this conversation. He had um, just come from doing a chat at Unity Books in Wellington when we sat down in his hotel room and had this conversation. So, I always appreciate a guest's time, um, and I was thrilled that Steve agreed to do the podcast, but um, I, I want to give an extra shout out for him agreeing to um, to do the podcast and talk about himself and the book after he'd just basically done that as part of a bookstore appearance um, to, to sell the book. Um, so yeah, we talked obviously about this, his crime reporting, which I love, um, but we also talked about his his other work. I've been reading Steve's work for... Probably 25 years, and um, I think he's he's often funny and a fantastic writer. And um, I don't know that he likes being told that. I don't think he enjoyed um, compliments so about himself. So we started giving compliments to other writers and talking about other writers, which is a fun thing to do um, with writers. It's same sometimes true with musicians too. I'm much happier talking about other people's work. But you will get lots of Steve's story in here, Uh, I think. I reckon um, we probably talked more about him and his work than he perhaps had planned to. So I'm happy enough about that. And I think this was a good conversation because we don't really know each other. This really was our first proper meeting. Um, We had said hello to each other once um, at a literary event and we have exchanged a a handful of messages, Um, not much more than that. So, and I've done a couple of pieces of writing for him. so I know him as an editor and I've always been kind of uh, daunted by that but, but kind of passed the test I guess. So we talked a bit about that um, and yeah we just talked about uh, all things literary really, all things writing related and um, I was really grateful that Steve gave up his time for this because I've asked him a couple of other times when I've been in Auckland and it hasn't worked out so um, at the risk of bugging him to death um, he's one of the people I've asked at least three times to get a reply and positive and he, and he made the time and I was really grateful for that so I hope you enjoy this this is me talking with Steve Borneus We don't really know each other we've met, I reckon we've met one other time really briefly which basically spotted me at a lit crawl and said some, you know when you knew who each other were you we just said hello so we're really just meeting but we've had a few interactions I've told people the most petrified I've ever been is submitting word to you I did a book review a few once for the spin-off and it went okay but I was nervous (laughs) Why? I think because I've read your stuff for years and I think on top of that it wasn't just that um, I think on top of that the real answer is you did that book review at the spin-off where you published it and you published a really long postscript basically mocking the piece of work that the person handed in which I think was entirely... Well, if it wasn't entirely fair, it was really funny. But it still put the shits up me as a perspective,
1: (laughs) you know. Yes, I'd commissioned a piece by Graham Lay. That's right. uh, A kind of memoir piece about the uh, Sargison Prize winner um, Craig Mariner. That's right, yeah. And Craig had had a troubled residency. Mm -hmm. And Graham handed in the piece and... um, I found it pretty objectionable. Um, to the degree that I was moved to write a <laughs> postscript, um, which was very critical of it. It's true. Uh, partly, I did it for the comedy. Yeah. Because oh. I, I'd never seen anyone commission a piece and then publish a postscript disowning it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was it was a cruel comedy. Yeah, it was. And I thought, what was
0: the blowback from him on that? Don't know. <laughs> Were you protected from it?
1: Hmm. He might have emailed. I can't remember. Mm. I can't remember. I've and got that, a terrible memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget. Uh, yes, well, I forget that's, things.
0: That's uh, and even that is a while ago now. It's a few years ago. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a
1: while ago. Um, so you know. No, I would have felt bad about it, but uh, <laughs> I have an irresistible impulse to. Oh yeah. Publish things which I find interesting. Yeah, and that's the thing is that you know it read
0: like. I remember that one sort of doing the rounds too. People going, Jesus, have you seen this? Which is obviously the reaction you and your publisher, in that case, the website, want. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, people were just kind of gobsmacked. that. But I feel like I wasn't alone in going, oh, I wouldn't want that to happen to me as someone who's submitted reviews to people. Mm. And, you know, nine times out of 10, or nine and a half times out of 10, I've heard nothing. It's just hit the pages and that's it, which is fine. And then the other times, People asking for a little bit of a correction or a change or a clarification is also fine if it happens. But so I submitted to you and I went, oh shit, you know, like. It what t-
1: did you review? I
0: reviewed practical? the um, first memoir by the guy from Swade,
1: Brett Anderson. Yeah.
0: Cold Black Morning. Yeah, I think good it's piece. Called. Good piece. Yeah, yeah, no, like it seemed to go. Quite lyrical. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and the review seemed to go okay, like, in that uh, I don't think much was changed about it. There was no
1: postscript. Yeah,
0: there was no postscript. Simon Sweetman sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck Simon Sweetman. I can't believe I commissioned this. He doesn't even like 660. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't... (laughs) I guess I felt like you and I probably had some similar experiences and tastes around some of the things in culture without, you know, we're removed in age and status and everything, like, we don't know each other, but I feel like... You like you probably like some of the same
1: writers and musicians as I do. I would and think so, that'd be true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and you know, we're we we're, we're music critics. Yeah. Music writers. So yeah. there's a collegial yeah, aspect yeah, to that, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um, so you've just published your what, tenth, eleventh book? Twelfth, eleventh, I, I think. I think eleventh. Yeah. Some of them are collections of columns, some of them are um, other little whimsical pieces, but this is really the second book of crime writing crime reportage um, so it's not quite a sequel but it, it is in the sense that it's the same thing I am, um, I enjoyed it I liked it I thank loved um, and we've just attended your chat that you've had at Unity Books which was probably a bit daunting but I thought it went well
1: thank you yeah um, are you pleased with the book? Uh, yes yes I think so um, I think so uh, I mean you put yourself wholly into every piece of writing, particularly, you know, writing which is going to be published in book form. Um, and you think about it constantly and you, um, have intense feelings about it and you're trying to get it right and you're trying to surprise yourself. Um, so it's hard to see beyond that and, 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 and You know, judge it really in any which way. Mm. Um, The only sort of thing that you can't, one of the few things that you can do is is just try and write, you know, absolutely the best you can and avoid cliche and avoid laziness and write things that you really mean um, and take things out which are rubbish and only leave things in which you um, have some feeling about, has some kind of accuracy, and I don't mean, you know, merely Mm. in in fact or detail, but some kind of accuracy that this is correctly getting to what I am thinking and what I saw and what I observed. Mm -mm. I think Mm. the word accuracy is important. Mm. Um, you were talking um, earlier about um, you don't want to make it up. You don't want to, but you don't want to be a phony. Yeah, You yeah. don't want to be a phony, which I think is, um, you know, one of the most loaded and uh, significant words in all of the literature. Thanks yes, to Catcher uh, in the Rye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to J.D. Salinger. Mm. And you kind of live in fear of that, and you respect it as a, 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 a place that you ought not to cross into, mm. um, and you yeah, you know, you kind of hold it up like a, a burning torch, don't get too near it, try and avoid it if you can, and it's a good thing to to have, yeah. I think Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I, mm. I think um. in some way or other I've tried to do that with a lot of the music reviews I've done, definitely Yes, I've, I can see that. You know, it hasn't always worked and, and when it has worked it probably hasn't been the smartest move, but uh, on some other level it has, philosophically, well, or something it has.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, of all the things that go into a piece of writing, two of them include the way you feel about it and think about it. Mm. And then there's the thing that which you can't control, and, and that's the way readers think about it. And, and you can't anticipate it, yeah. that. You know, We were talking before about the, the Graham Lay piece mm. on, on Craig Mariner. You know, uh, I didn't intend to write that postscript with any thought in mind as in, oh, this will stir reaction. Oh, this will do something to people. Oh, this will attract attention. It just seemed like the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I understand, we, we, that. I
0: understand yeah. that. It's an urge, though, isn't it? Like, it is
1: an urge. I, I, under, I was going to
0: say I understand that feeling, it is an but an urge, it's
1: an urge. But there's nothing so sort of cheap or boring as writing something <laughs> thinking that this will, you know, this will stir things up. That's boring. I don't think like that because you can't anticipate it, you mm. know, and, and you ought not. Uh, you just try and write the, the best you can, and and you know, given to urges really. Yeah, yeah. And you said which may not be smart. <laughs> you said that um, you know, in
0: the book, which is, I guess, a bunch of tr- crime journalism, tr- true crime stories about New Zealand. Yes. You talked about some comic relief in the in the kim.com piece mm-hmm. and uh, and but there's actually some comic relief in or some comedy in some of the toughest pieces in the book too yeah that would be true I think there's you know and yeah. and, and, and to set it up for anyone who has read it the, the, the book ends with two pieces about Grace Mullane mm. about the murder of Grace Mullane which mm. is no laughing matter but with complete respect to that story you find the kind of sad comedy in and And some of that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, The the chapter on Malcolm Raywa Yeah. uh, You know, it was one of the least humorous people and least humorous stories in New Zealand life. Mm. The trial itself and the way it was handled and certainly the way it was defended did have uh, definite aspects of black humor to it. And, uh, And they happen. They're evident. They're in court. It's what's going on. It's just the way people are, you know you don't you don't hold these trials uh, and the only tone throughout them that's being held by the participants that is the lawyers or the journalists or the puppet gallery is entirely sober and respectful and mm. serious. Mm. People aren't like that, you know trials aren't like that they they yield to human nature, and so yeah, there is comedy in the darkest of areas. And these traditionally are not uh, reflected or written about or described in court reporting. Mm. Uh, And you don't go looking for it. I certainly don't go looking for it. But um, I think it's important uh, in these stories that I write about criminal trials to be observant of it and to include it if it's there.
0: Mm -hmm. They uh, they strike me as the... um Like if I was going to share your writing with someone that had never read you, and I wanted them to get an example of your voice on the page, it would be something from the new book or the previous crime volume. Because these are stories that are going to hook people in, of course, Mm. but your voice is on the page in every single page. You don't remove yourself, it's it's you reporting on it, not Mm. someone else. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's true, huh? How do you feel about that, and how have you, you know, how have you worked that up? I mean, I guess the simple answer is forty plus years of writing.
1: Hmm. Um, it just seemed to make sense. Um, I mean, uh, I think I first started writing about crime. The first trial that I ever wrote about was um, the um, Anthony Dixon murder trial. Yeah. The guy took an astounding amount of methamphetamine and chopped up two women's limbs with a samurai sword and then shot and killed a complete stranger. And um, I had just joined the Sunday Star Times in Auckland from the Listener magazine. And I arrived at the newspaper and on my first day there, there was a, an editorial meeting. I'd never attended an editorial meeting with other journalists. And it was shocking. And everyone was speaking about stuff I didn't know about. And they kept coming up with initials and acronyms like DHB. Everyone seemed to know a lot about DHBs. Everyone seemed to know someone associated with DHBs. People had statistics which related to DHBs. I didn't even know what a DHB was and that was just one example, they were forever talking about events, stories, things with huge urgency and great passion and terrific knowledge too and I had no idea what anyone was talking about and I thought, wow, I, I'm, this is a disaster. I don't know what they're talking about so how can I write anything? And um, they eventually sort of turned to me and said, You yeah, well, what are you going to write about for your first story? And I thought, I-, I remember that I'd seen on the news, TV news the previous night, day one of the Anthony Dixon trial. The editorial meeting was on a Tuesday. They don't have Mondays and Sunday papers. And I said, oh, I'm going to attend the Anthony Dixon trial just like that, without giving it a second's thought. I said, that's a great idea. So I went along, and um, what I ended up doing is that, because it was a Sunday paper, I would write stories at the end of the week. It was a six-week trial, and they were published every Sunday. And I very quickly sort of thought, um, because all I did that first few days was fill notebooks. Mm. I didn't have to write anything at the end of the day. I I waited four days and I thought, oh, this trial is going to go for six weeks. It might be interesting to treat it kind of like a serial, Um, and that these Sunday dispatches would be parts one to six, and it would be good to write about them in a way that um, wasn't just reporting, because, you know, they're daily reporters from every media, media organisation mm, mm. covering that one. There was, wasn't anything which wasn't known, really, as far as the salient facts and the drama and the sensationalism yeah, yeah. of it. Uh, but I thought, yes, but I'm not getting any sense of what the trial's like and what the rumours like. I'll write that. And, yeah, so I started writing these um, weekly serials and... Um, that's when I first became fascinated, really, and, um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Um, it, it, has, it has annoyed and angered, baffled, uh, bewildered some people, including people in the media. I remember I went to one trial, murder trial, and there was a, a woman from Radio New Zealand, a journalist there, and I was writing these serials, at that time they were daily, it was for the New Zealand Herald which I joined after the, mm. long after the Star Times, it was the Lundy Trial. And after about day three of this and my reports appearing every day, and they were very um, individual I guess, and they had comedy in them, and they were in stark contrast to the reporting of it because it was such a heinous murder. And everyone was invested in it, what was going to happen. And these stories that I were writing were, um, well, they were quite lighthearted, really.
0: Mm.
1: Certainly they were trying to be evocative. And anyway, she came up to me on day three and said, Yeah, I saw your piece and been reading your pieces in the paper. Um, So, is this a comedy? (laughs) And I said, Yeah, it partly is. (laughs)
0: but that bewildering aspect would be a positive as well you would have people contacting you saying you know maybe who are actually more closely connected with the story maybe with the passage of time or even at the time Mm -hmm. going i mean you've you've alluded to this in, in some of your interviews and discussions over the years but you would you know you'd have people basically thank you for treating me as a human essentially
1: i guess so yeah that's
0: true um I because that's that. what you do, like I think, and and and
1: and around. In a way, you don't want to know compliments. Um, mm. That comment, that criticism that that woman made, and she mm. was clearly appalled by the way I wrote mm. and found it abhorrent. Mm. I instantly thought, "Oh, I'm doing something doing right. a good job. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doing yeah, the right thing. thing. Yeah, I am. I, I, I felt morally righteous about yes. what I was doing. Yeah, and that." Um, these pieces, which were, you know, uh, resembling literature, uh, mm. were, um, I, was, I, was, I was doing the right thing for me as a writer. But you've, I mean, you
0: had, what, done a little bit of that yourself and looked for that in the music writing that you did and that you enjoyed, and you'd also, um, you've often talked up the sports writing that you know, again, that you've done a little bit of, but mm. also that you enjoy reading yourself, is that, mm. put simply, it's making the subject interesting for for all people, isn't it? People who have the vested interest in the knowledge, but also for people who are first-timers to it. What can they get from it? Well, this is a story that involves humans. Mm. Yeah, it's c- been observed by a human.
1: Well, again, though, you know, um, I mean, there must be a sense that everything you write as a journalist, because it's been published in front of a, you know wide audience mm. if you're in the you know mainstream media uh, there must be some sort of sense when you're writing that you've got a responsibility to attract people's attention and, and possibly even hold it I guess that sense must be prevalent in the way I write but honestly uh, I don't think that I'm conscious of it mm. I just think the main thing that I'm conscious of is are these good sentences yeah, yeah. am I finding nice sentences are these And the, and you write them one sentence at a time. And is there a, a narrative here? Um,
0: yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you that. Is that your so approach to... think about
1: to that rather than, you know, what people are going to think and whether it's going to work mm. for people. You, again, you know, you can't anticipate it, don't want to anticipate it. You know, uh, all the respect that I put into it is is not so much really for the reader, but for the writing itself.
0: But is that your approach to every piece of writing? Because I remember yes. you saying you know at some auckland writers festival about about half a decade ago mm-hmm. i believe you were talking about the secret diary type stuff then. Mm-hmm. and obviously you've done a lot of different weekly columns mm. but someone asked you about how you come up with it and you were like line by line i write the first line and then i write the next line and that is how it goes and i understand that with an 800 word piece but with this book which you've adapted some things that you've already written and then you've yes. written some brand new things. Yes. Is, that, is that the process for you? Yes, so the that, same you, process. Don't, you don't write a middle chunk like a novelist might and then flesh it out. No,
1: know? God, no, 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 no. And neither do I think about it yeah. before I sit down to write
0: it. Right, it just takes you where it... Yeah, you... I mean, you, it has
1: that feel about it, particularly, I thought, the
0: Lundy piece, which you're, you know, essentially you're revisiting a case that you've yeah. covered yeah. and there's no real brand new development it's mm. a couple of years old mm. um that that in particular i think had that feel about it that you're just going where the flow of that piece is going to take yeah
1: you. yeah that yeah hopefully that's true yeah you go where the story is taking mm. you um i mean i remember in the and in in, again that Lundy trial which is in wellington um, you know, because I live in Auckland, so I'd come down here and was staying in hotels. And what I was doing every day was that I was leaving the courtroom at about 4 p.m., dashing back to whichever hotel I was in, and writing uh, for the next day's paper. And I think, you know, I had around about um, 70 to 80 minutes write these things and they were anywhere between 600 and 2,000 words Um, and I remember uh, you know scooting back home along Lambton Quay or in the bus um, almost trying not to think about it almost trying uh, and feeling terribly nervous and tense because the clock would be ticking and you had to file something and you wanted to file something good and getting to the finally getting to the hotel room and opening up the they gave me a laptop never had one before or since and opening up the laptop and taking a you know some kind of deep breath with my cup of instant coffee and just hoping that it would work and 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 then doing all my thinking as the story as I began to write the story, and I, I think that's the way I approach everything. I do all my thinking when I'm writing it. Uh, I don't think about anything when I'm interviewing somebody, I don't think really much uh, after the interview, um, it's just when I'm starting to write it.
0: What about when, the, when you're on the other side of it, like now, do you enjoy this process?
1: No, not much.
0: <laughs> Did you say yes because I bugged you more than once, is that why? You seem like a nice guy and we do have a strange bond as music writers <laughs> I appreciate you do, I mean I appreciate you saying yes obviously but I'm, I did think that you uh, I didn't think that you would either say yes I think I've asked you three times two times at least and I sort of have a rule with people twice as cut off you know because you can ask them again and obviously my timing is good because you've got a book to plug so I know that if you're gonna, if you're going to say no this time then that's it I'm not going to bug you
1: again. But that might be why I asked a third time. Yes, I must admit that at the beginning of the interview, I thought to myself, I deeply regret doing this. Why did I say yes? Oh, yes, Simon's a nice guy. It's a good trick.
0: (laughs) It's funny, though, because a lot of people would be saying no, thinking, like, he's not a nice guy. He can't be. You know, about and, you? Yeah, yeah, about me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I feel like I've had that because
1: of, you have a certain reputation. Yeah,
0: well, I, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I know I do, but yes. yeah, I guess that that's why because it's again it's based around people that haven't actually haven't had any interaction with them. Mm. And well,
1: we're, you know, as you said at the onset, mm. we're kind of strangers to each other.
0: Mm. I like meeting people this way. You know, I do like. uh, I'm happy to talk to someone that I know really well, and I've done that. Mm -hmm. But I do like meeting people this way. I feel like it's as artificial as it is, as any interview situation is. um, I feel like it's a nice way to meet someone. (laughs) You know, it's it's.
1: um, There are other ways to meet people, Simon.
0: There are other ways to meet. (laughs) There are other ways. I've done that too. I'm not saying that I just (laughs) walk around with this and message people on their Twitter until they say yes Um, but I do feel like it's a nice way to meet someone because we're now having a conversation that well you know we probably one day would have this conversation anyway I think based on the messages we've exchanged the things that interest us and the fact that we've said hello to one another I think one day we might have sat in a bar or a cafe and had and had a similar chat to this but now we are
1: similar to some degree yeah. <laughs> I would deflect most of your questions and ask you about yourself
0: mm. which you know again which is qu- quite fine in this people can do that and then I have to work out oh shit I've talked about myself way too much I need to, I need to throw it back how do I throw it back and so I sit and think about that and I think what I've learned about doing this or what I'm learning about doing this is it's similar to what you were talking about about getting to your laptop or whatever your devices and not thinking about it too much until it happens and then just following it and going, basically, it's an adrenaline thing in a way, isn't
1: it? It does seem to be the pattern in our conversation.
0: Let's see how this works, you know, (laughs) let's see where this goes, let's see how this works. How will you be if I ask you a little bit about um, what got you to where you are now in terms of, uh, you know, 40 years of writing or so, was that always the goal? I imagine it couldn't have been.
1: Before I wrote?
0: Yeah, well, when you're a kid, you're interested in books and sports and things, mm. music, but are you going like, I, I'm going to write a book one day, I'm going to write, I'm going to publish, you know? Oh no. When does that, yeah, what are you, well, what are you doing instead of that?
1: No, uh, the, only, the only ambition I had was to um, find something I could do for a living really. Uh, when I left school, I was terrified, I, you know, goddamn stupid, <laughs> you know, moron, no good at subjects. Uh,
0: no good not interested or no good with quite trying. Quite interested, just
1: dumb, I don't understand <laughs> what the hell they were talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, back then they encouraged even complete ninnies. An imbeciles to go to university, so I went there and lasted for six weeks. I didn't understand a goddamn word, and confirmed my opinion that you know I was a sub moron. And so once again, uh, at university and in my last you know year or two at school, uh, I was just thinking, what the hell am I going to do? You know, I'm no good for nothing. Uh, when school finished. I went around, uh, I lived in Mount Manganui, grew up in Mount Mm. Manganui, and I went around. uh, There's an industrial, a light industrial uh, part of town with rows and rows and rows of warehouses and garages. And I went around uh, each of them one really desultory afternoon. I must have gone to about 50 and said, I'm looking for a job and they said what can you do and I said I can sweep floors, that's the only thing I I could think of. (laughs) And one place, only one place said yeah, you can sweep the floor and we'll see how you get on. (laughs) So I swept the floor for about half an hour and a guy came over and said, we don't really need anyone to sweep the floor. <laughs> You're doing a good job, but we actually need someone kind of trained to do stuff. Um, sorry, oh, hell, you know, it was humiliating, it's embarrassing. The hell am I going to do? Um, but when I dropped out of university, and it was at Victoria after the six weeks, I did find a job, wrapping up things in a warehouse, and um, I felt really stoked about that, like I was, all I ever wanted to do was like join society, you know, like most adolescents, I felt like an outsider, I wanted to be, I wanted to be accepted, and I got this job, and that was really thrilling, and, um, got my first pay packet and um, I decided I would buy a typewriter. So I bought a typewriter and a copy of uh, The Trial by Franz Kafka. Mm -hmm. And I sat down with the typewriter and put the paper in and I learned to type by writing, typing out the first chapter of The Trial with two fingers. And then I did the same with The Bell Jar and wrote out a chapter of that and got quite fast. Mm. And um, I really enjoyed it. And I thought, yeah, um, I like writing. Mechanically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I love these two books. And I thought, well, you know, can you, can you write? Can you earn a living by writing? Um, so I applied for journalism school. And um they said nah the first year and I applied the next year and they said nah uh, but you're on the uh, you're on the uh, waiting list if someone drops out and uh, a week before the journalism school was about to begin I got a phone call from uh, someone at the journalism school at Wellington Polytechnic and a guy with a very um, disappointed voice told me that they'd had six people drop out who weren't going to do the course after all and only that morning the um, seventh person a seventh person called in and said they had glandular fever and was unable to so he sighed you're it. we'll take you and he said it really resentfully. Yeah. He was really. I, I was the scraping at the yeah, bottom yeah, of the barrel, yeah. but, uh,
0: bottom, I, of, th- bottom of the bonus shortlist.
1: Yeah, I, I was overjoyed though. Yeah, I was o- overjoyed, and um, that's how I began. Wow!
0: And had you graduated from copying books to writing your own things before you got into the school? Or yes, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote.
1: Yes, I wrote mm. diary entries. Mm-hmm. That's you know, that's all I could think of to write. Mm. Um, was diary entries, and I really enjoyed writing those.
0: Um, and isn't it funny, and they're like a kind of, not a cornerstone, but they've come back <laughs> in your, you know, I've been thinking about this, because I hand-wrote a, hand a diary right through high school every mm-hmm. day. I wrote my thoughts about things mm-hmm. and what I was listening to. And so many years later, when I was writing a blog every day for stuff, I thought, well, you know, actually, it's pretty obvious how this happened. I, I was training for this before I knew it. Mm. And so it strikes me that you, that's similar to you in a way. Yeah, I like, guess I was. Yeah.
1: I guess I was. And I was typing up, uh, they weren't so much about what I felt or thought about anything because mm. I didn't feel much, or certainly I didn't think much. Uh, they were really uh, collections of observations from the city that I'd come to live in, which mm. is Wellington, and I found just fascinating and so interesting. And yeah. the people who, who you'd sometimes meet. Uh, and also just sort of see mm. and, and scenes that were going on, and they were just sort of endless uh, observational pieces yeah you you
0: you lived in Wellington at a time, I and mean, everyone has their own scene and their own time, but you lived in Wellington at a time that strikes me as there was a pretty interesting crowd that yeah and that
1: you were a part of and aware of yeah I felt, yeah, I felt really lucky at the time yeah. I thought, this, this is lucky this is a good I think most times are good times, you know I think every age is a golden age mm, mm. Um, depending on your generation. And I definitely felt that at the time. I thought, Oh, this is lucky. Uh and by that I mean um I was sort of running around with people like uh Bill Doreen, uh, who I just thought pretty pretty immediately I thought oh, this guy's a genius. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic singer, incredible songwriter. Yeah. And uh then John McCleary who yeah. I think you know, I know very well. Yeah. Do you? Right. Yeah. I Is yeah. this, this guy special? Yeah. This guy's really great, and and there was a you know a, an atmosphere at that time. We were talking like the very early nineteen eighties mm. of uh, foreboding. Uh, you know, the basic colour scheme of our lives was very black and white. We didn't go in for lurid colours back then because it wasn't the way that we uh, wasn't the way that we were reacting to the world around us um, the reaction was that we were doomed and that there was some kind you know uh, apocalyptic event was about to happen not religious just purely nuclear annihilation it was a real fear and, and that coloured our days and mm-hmm. it coloured them in black and white and I think a lot of the art that was being made by uh, Musicians like Doreen and John McCleary, in some ways, were a kind of a tense reflection of. That. Yes,
0: it still sounds really. I mean, even now to listen to their stuff that they were making then, it still sounds very agitated.
1: It's a good word. You know? It's yeah. a really good word. Yeah, people were agitated. And yet yeah. they weren't entirely so, you know, uh, there were lots of good times. As, yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun sure, as well, but, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, agitated. But that's the, that's the kind of mood that still comes
0: across. I mean, those. Those um, really early Spines recordings, that first EP, which someone put online just recently, is. Are is still that fishing? Th- yeah, is bizarre. Yeah, like, it's I really just think, because I've got the record, I've got all of the records um, that
1: you can get, but I've never been able to find a copy of that. Yeah, so that's that, a, that's that, a, that was a great record. Mm, I only had that at the time, mm, uh, even before I met John. But you go and see him live, or you play the record, and, and it somehow just seemed to. It made sense, you know, mm, I was talking mm. to people about. About the way things were, particularly uh, in a very claustrophobic way uh, in Wellington. Mm. You know, Wellington was, uh, this is my favourite word for it at the time, and I mean it as a compliment, really. It was so shabby. Mm. It was so shabby. It was run down. It was desolate. A lot of it was abandoned um, and dark and narrow and God cold. It's going Was through it,
0: that again now. Is
1: it really? Yeah, it's I reckon. It's terribly glamorous to me. Really? I mean, it's not wow. the city that, that I recognise. Well, all this all, is all, the, all is for the better. Well. I think it's an awesomely exciting city. I've been, yeah, I have been reading a lot of people putting it down and stuff. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. This is the difference between you being a visitor and
0: me having now lived <laughs> here for a quarter of a century, I guess. <laughs> to like, visit is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I love the place. I mean, I'm not going anywhere, yeah. and, and probably in all senses yeah. of that phrase. But, um, but I, you know, I do think... The other thing that I'm, I'm sort of getting from what you're talking about there is that I can relate to is, as is the way when you go somewhere for university, you're meeting all these people that have all come, you know, to... Back then, Wellington was a big place, in New Zealand still kind of is. in mm. the context of New Zealand probably less impressive now because everyone lives online. But you're all coming from these little pockets, little provinces.
1: Yeah, that's really true, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's so, you really know, true. I imagine
0: Aunt Donaldson was another person that was, you know... Uh, in in and around that time, I know he played in the Spines for a bit, and I know, you know, I know he grew up in Hawkes Bay. So you've got yeah. and John's up in Hamilton. That's right. Yeah. So you know, you've yeah, got every,
1: everyone was from somewhere out. That's
0: right. Everyone's from the Bay of Plenty or yeah, yeah, Ta- Taranaki Plenty. or Rotorua or what? Tomorrow. Kind of, people yeah. were, people were yeah. from
1: tomorrow. Bill himself was from uh, Christchurch. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But yeah, it was it was it was it was super exciting, and um, you know, I wanted to write about all that. And uh, I was, uh, again, lucky enough to have met a guy called Gary Steele, who was running uh, street magazines about music. Mm. Uh, One was called In Touch. I didn't write for that, but I read it avidly. And it was, you know, reviews of concerts and bands and stuff like that. It was so exciting. And then uh, that folded, and I met him. And he said he wanted to start up another one. So, yeah, I was at the beginning of that. And um, because In Touch had, had only just recently expired and he had this plans for this other magazine, we kept calling it The Other Magazine, mm. The Other Magazine. And I said, well, why don't we call it Tom, T-O-M, The Other Magazine? And that's what it was called. And he ran that for like five or six years. And, you know, I wrote stacks for that, stacks of music reviews and profiles of... Uh, entertainers and you know there was there was no money in it you didn't yeah, get yeah. paid to see it but yeah. you didn't think you would and you didn't you didn't you did, that money money yeah, yeah. was not an object it was just so exciting and so interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and were you excited to to hold it and see it as well you know like you've the ripped, magazine yeah yeah oh, so you know you've written so up that's exciting. exciting and then it's another level when it comes out right incredibly exciting
1: yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah i can see it very clearly in my mind's eye yeah yeah they had a really good designer it was only about 8, 10, 12 pages or something like that, mm. but yeah, I absolutely loved it and, you know, wrote as much as I possibly could, wrote as much as he would publish.
0: Mm-mm. And when are you, I mean, you've, you know, I'm, I'm someone who's read your work for 20-odd years, so I, I know a little bit of this already, but when do you, you know, become the fairly rabid, voracious reader that I assume you are, or is that all elegant bluff?
1: Oh, no, I always read Was that
0: the whole time? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you yeah. were being a little bit disingenuous mm. when you were saying you were a moron because you can't read that much and be
1: stupid. I was reading comics. <laughs>
0: they, that's philosophy.
1: Well, that's a bit highfalutin. Uh, <laughs> they were just exciting and they were full of terrible, terribly exciting narratives and they had incredible dialogue. Mm. Um, yeah, um... And and then, you know, eventually I did start reading these things called books magazines of course. Um just voraciously. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get right into Graham Greene.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really did. Yeah, I um my 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 first wife was um her mum ran a second-hand bookstore at Raumating Beach. Right. And we'd go there, stay there in summer and I, like, beg to uh, work in the bookshop and give her the day off or a few hours off or anything like that because it was living the dream. You know, everyone who mm. writes wants a second-hand bookstore, don't they? And uh, so, yeah, you would sit there uh, surrounded by books, and that's where I first uh, read Graham Greene. It was a memoir of his called A Sword of Life. Mm. And, uh, gee, that was a, that was a sensational discovery. That That changed my writing forever. And um, I was so rich. This, the images and the imagery were so powerful. And he had, did incredible things with full colons. I loved ab- absolutely everything about him and read a, a fantastic amount of his work. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And we, we sort of left it with you getting the second stringer or third stringer call into journalism school. Mm. Um Seventh. Seventh, <laughs> seventh drop. Do you so you complete it? You stay there and finish it, or is it a university part two for you?
1: It kind of is a part two. Uh, there were fifty people on the course, and forty-nine of them were given certificates at the end of it.
0: <laughs> I know this story. I know yeah, this feeling.
1: <laughs> I was really, very disappointed that I didn't get one.
0: <laughs> what do you go and do instead?
1: Well, uh, I, got a, I got a job, uh, the, a newspaper in Tiaraha uh, employed me and I didn't tell them that I hadn't got a certificate <laughs> and they subsequently found out that I didn't have a certificate and um, we parted ways. <laughs> So I came back to Wellington and it would have been around then that I met Gary and started writing a lot about mm. music. Mm. Um, when did the
0: certificate stop being a problem?
1: Oh, th- uh, that same year, because uh, I come back to Wellington, was writing a lot for Gary and I got a job in another warehouse. I've become quite good at working in warehouses, mm. and wrapping things up by that stage. Graduated from sweeping the floor to doing honest day's work, really enjoyed it. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, it was the Springbok tour and um, a radio station in Palmerston North called 2XS had uh, laid down a dictate to its uh, reporting team that they were not to cover the demonstrations mm. it was a conservative board I think we could safely assume so around about th- Three of the journalists there just found that outrageous uh, repression of their of their trade, and and you know just crazy and quit. So they had to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find anyone who would be prepared to work for a radio station news outlet that had such you know appalling North Korean kind of principles. <laughs> they didn't ask about a certificate <laughs> and uh, has anyone asked since no that was the end of it <laughs> that was pretty much the end of it uh, I, I, I had work experience mm, I was, I runs a, on the board yeah. I was a journalist at a radio yeah. station in Palmer's North and yeah I was there for a couple of years absolutely loved it Thomas yeah. North was awesome um, really enjoyed uh, writing for radio um, every story was three sentences that was exciting Mm. And you would literally uh, be bursting into the um, announcer's booth on the hour as they were reading with your stories and Mm. handing them on three pieces of paper, a sentence per page. And, yeah, I found that terribly exciting. I wasn't very good at it, but... um, I was employed. I had a track record. Yeah, and I was, you. I was a professional journalist. And
0: you understood the thrill of it too. Like you, you know, no, you you sure
1: you, you were bitten by the buzz of it. Yeah, sure was. Yeah, yeah. It was exciting. Which is important yeah. too, isn't it? Like, it was exciting. I, I I I was aware though that I wasn't very good at it. I didn't really understand what the hell people were talking about mm. uh, when I was interviewing them, uh, council matters, things like that. I was like, what are you talking about? And so you were ever kind of, you know walking through a fog and and hoping to find solid objects. Yeah, you just got
0: to get it, though, right? You've just got to get... Essentially, you've just got to get what well, the gotta story do, is. You've
1: got to do more than that, really. You've got to be like those people in the Sunday Star uh, news office <laughs> mm. who were talking about DHBs and knew the way things worked. You know, these are really good journalists, mm. you know, terrific. And I didn't know... You know, I didn't know at the beginning of my career how things worked. I didn't know them many years later when I went to the Sunday Star how things worked, and I still don't know how things work. I don't know how things work. And fortunately, uh, though I, I, I do a kind of writing which doesn't really require that. <laughs> but you've been a, you've been a section
0: mm-hmm. editor, and you're a deputy editor of the Listener, mm-hmm. uh, and, a, and a books review editor and stuff. So you must. You know, I mean, your, your story. When I say that you've just got to get the story and that'll do, kind of thing. I mean, in a sort of broadly fake it until you make it kind of manner, and that seems to be really how you've gone about it, essentially in the telling of this. It's kind of a bit of a fake it until you make it. I wasn't. Story. I wasn't
1: making it. Though. I wasn't. I never made it as a journalist. I mm. just was never a very good, you know, as a news journalist. I was sure. poor. Yeah. And and I felt bad about that. And I tried my best, but I was just poor. Um, but then you made room for
0: yourself, or publications made room for you for what you ended up doing. That's still a fake it until you make it. You know, well, you, you you find your position.
1: Well, a few times. Yeah, ed- editors. I mean, the great thing about one of the great things about the newspaper industry is that um, it attracts uh, a hell of a lot of people who are really nice. Mm-hmm. They're really generous with their time. Uh, and uh, you know, there for you, you know, and it's a real, Why it's a real that? bonding thing.
0: You're right. Why is that? Is it the low pay? Is it is it the <laughs> fact that you know, essentially, it's people all in the same thing together?
1: Yeah, it's a you strange. Know? It's a well, it's not strange. It's a really deep and enduring collegiality, mm. and um, you know, because you're dealing with, uh, you're producing something which is. Which is, you know, a form of literature. Mm. You're not making anything practical. You're not making pipes or hairbrushes. Mm. You're making stories. Um, you know that's that's materially worthless. It doesn't help society function. It doesn't it doesn't make your car run better, and it doesn't make your hair um, smell better. Um, and so these these are people who are coming from. A strange sort of impractical yeah, yeah. sense, and um, but it's the ultimate, and, there's a, and it's a club, mm. you know, it's a club, and we're all involved in
0: making something impractical. It's the ultimate deep dive, though, isn't it? Because it's what's it, a deep dive? Well, you're going in really deep into the subject, because mm. uh, into the broader subject, I mean, of writing. Because you might not be doing anything to make society better in a tangible. You know, sense, but you are creating the public record so that society can understand itself.
1: Oh yeah, it's got really. Lots so of in them. that
0: sense, it's the deep dive. That's what I mean. It's a bigger picture thing. Like, oh uh, yeah, yeah.
1: It's, it's got lots of noble principles yeah. which That's it. all noble the best journalists live yeah. up to. Yeah, I wasn't the best journalist. I wasn't noble. I didn't have. Uh, I, I didn't understand what was going on around me. But what I could do, you know, was was write okay. Mm. And um, when I said before about, you know, I work in a really hospitable industry, Mm. um, bags and bags of editors have been really nice to me and really encouraged me to do more writing. And uh, I was able then to sort of move away from news journalism, which I was frankly quite poor at, Mm -hmm. to writing something else.
0: Mm. And that's a good description for, for, for the genre that you've ended up in, I think. Something else. Because it's arts journalism, but it's not just arts journalism. And then now, across the last sort of roughly two decades, there's been this strain of crime reporting, crime writing. which yeah, has been part of it. Which yeah. has been a part, that's right, a part of what you do. And you clearly love that. I
1: do, I do, I do. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm... Uh... Uh, mentally kind of restless and I don't want to just stay with one subject mm. and if it was only crime writing uh, I'd, be, I'd be very bored and I'd mm. be very bad at it too um, so uh, uh, I, I do what I think is a, a wide ranging uh, um, amount of work mm. uh, the crime writing, profiles uh, book review editing mm. lots and lots of things
0: and you haven't ever bitten off the single biography subject for the big Book or a novel or a one person? Yeah, no. Which, which just sort of you've you, you basically just kind of addressed that. Like, the, do you think you couldn't do that? Like, stick with it, the one subject, um, <coughs> or
1: has it just not come up yet? There would there's there wouldn't. No, it hasn't. I guess it hasn't come up yet, really. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe I did answer it. I get very restless, so I don't want to stay with my like <laughs> yeah, subject yeah, yeah. for very long. And I say the thought of like, I don't know, spending a year or longer yeah. writing. Someone else's story, uh, it's untenable. I, c- I wouldn't begin to know how to do it or want to do it.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's,
1: you know. You know, you're a journalist. You, know, yeah. you write a story, you publish it, and then next. Yes, I exactly. I was going to say,
0: you're in that. Next is a great word. Yeah, you're still in that. You're, you've been through and still on on some level. A version of that treadmill that you, uh, pro- you produce copy
1: oh definitely i yeah. love that treadmill. yeah yeah I, I, yeah. I, th- totally. I don't think of it as a treadmill i no. just think of it as a, an exciting sort of way to make a living really yeah yeah, uh, yeah next yeah. And, yeah. and 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 yeah what what's next yeah um so I write fast like yeah. real fast
0: yeah yeah i was going
1: to say that's basically not because there's a weird. deadline It's just that uh, I'm not a deep thinker. If you give me lots of time to think about something, I'll be revealed as the moron I am. (laughs) But I I think okay quickly. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: yeah, it's, you know, if you write quickly, you can write more, basically. How do you mean? You can write more often. You can do more things. If you write quickly, you get through it you get to the next
1: I guess so. As you say that magic word next. I guess so. I hadn't thought of it like that. It's yeah. not so
0: I can finish or, it and move on. It's Or you can buy or you buy yourself time off, like and you mm. you know, you were saying I don't write anything you know, when you're doing those weekly columns, mm. you might not write anything for four days, but it doesn't mean you're not in some level, thinking about it, processing it.
1: Oh, yeah, you're always yeah. thinking about writing. Yeah. You're always coming up with um, sentences in your head which you mm. mostly forget, which mm. is unfortunate. Mm. Um, and you're always, you know, reading, which
0: is the same thing. You were talking about the kindness of newspaper people, that you know, in, in general, a lot of, lot of generous and kind people. I think the most heartbreaking story in the new book is the uh, Murray Mason, mm-hmm. who is from that world. And his story is yeah has, a, well, it's sadness all through it, but it has a sad end, obviously. Um, was that on some level the most emotional one for you to write?
1: Yeah, probably. Mm.
0: I felt I felt like a, you know, you project when you read, but I felt like I could ascertain that.
1: Yeah, probably. I, I think I wrote about it. Um, did you see some version of yourself? Oh yeah, in some ways it's a version of my, uh, of, 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 of a biography of mm. uh, the kind of person I could have been, mm. and in some ways resembled, mm. and so there was definitely an emotional resonance to that. But at the same time, it wasn't me, it was somebody <laughs> else, mm. and it was someone who had lived their own life and... Yeah, made their know,
0: choices and
1: yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Made good choices. Made choices. Whatever, whatever you can do to get yourself through. And he did them. And so I wasn't, um, I wasn't trying to substitute his life for mine and write about me. Mm. I kept a very close eye on his life and what he had done and who he had met, and and interviewed as many people as I possibly could find who'd had something to do with him and mm. some meaningful way or pa- even a passing way so it became very much a a portrait of murray mm. um, who was a newspaper journalist who became a newspaper sub-editor and and had lived several lives and ended up in a um, died an unfortunate death yeah and that's beneath, a a, beneath a small bridge and
0: a creek in the Auckland Domain. Mm. Mm. So you gave him the extended eulogy or epitaph that he wasn't going to get. Mm. If you, I mean, you know, you can say someone would have done it, but you did it.
1: Mm. He would have hated it. He was yeah. a private person. He yeah. didn't want his life known. <laughs> in fact, he lived as the second half of his life, um, hiding, mm. uh, escaping the yep. wider truth about himself
0: which is why he's in there because he's a missing
1: person that's right, right. Yeah. he would have hated it and <laughs> i was conscious of that too um and felt bad about it and continue to feel bad about it but i guess it was an irresistible impulse
0: yeah and you it's it's that thing where you're like is this the right thing to do or is this a good piece of writing what wins over hmm. and you on some level go no, it's a really good piece of writing. Would he have liked that? That doesn't matter. He's not here. You start making those sorts of decisions. I take it. Mm,
1: it does matter. Yeah,
0: yeah. It does yeah, matter. No, not yeah. quite, not quite well, as quickly and clinically as that. But yeah, oh,
1: I don't know whether you make decisions or emotional decisions. You, um, if anything, uh, a lot of what I write about is really unresolved, and mm. the way I feel about it. Um, and the stories themselves, too. They're not open and shut. They're unresolved narratives.
0: Yeah, no, I feel like, not just in this book, but, like, um, you know, I'm thinking back to, like, the back page of The Listener 20 years ago. Mm. You're often writing the middle of a story. No real beginning and no real end. Just this lovely middle bit. You pull us, that's why I think, like, you pull Mm. us straight, you know, like, Mm. 800 words about the mangroves. Mm. And it's like, I don't need to know the context beyond. I'm just pulled into the piece. Mm and then I follow it, and then it ends often whimsically on some level. Or well, it doesn't end. Or it doesn't end, mm. that's right, it's essentially a dot, dot, dot. Mm. It's not printed there, because editors don't like that, but it, there's mm. a full stop instead of mm. two further ones. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, you talked a bit about, um, and the book is essentially about, on some level, one of the, well, one of the principal themes of the book is good people doing bad things, or a bad thing that a person is then forever judged for. And this, I think, is an interesting an interesting topic, always has been, but an interesting time to explore that because mm. we're finding more and more that people are very quick to pull the rug out under someone as soon as they hear of the one bad thing they did and not look back mm. on everything else. What You know, I was watching that movie The Apostle, um, with Robert, that Robert Duvall made and starred in it's about 20 years old 25 years old and I feel like that movie is exactly about that he's a um, have you seen it? do you
1: remember I think it? I know the one you've yeah mean. he
0: plays like a preacher who kills his um, wife's new lover in a jealous rage and then skips town hmm. and sets up this beautiful church for this community that needs it and spends his days there until eventually he's caught hmm. But it's like you see this compassion this man has, this belief he has in his religion, but he's essentially um, committed one of the ultimate sins that that religion in particular would judge him by. Is he a bad person or has he done one bad thing? You know, that's what the film... And so your your book is a little bit like that.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's true. Um, It is a a bit like that, Um, without ever... uh, removing itself from the bad thing mm. you know um, courtroom trials and the system of it uh, it's a beautiful construct in many ways it's a beautiful ideal um, where you very finely tune a set of rules to reconstruct what may or may not have happened as exactly as you possibly can Mm. And you use those same tools to deny that version and to come up with a different version and a robust defence. And then, and, and then there's a jury. Um, and the beauty of it, one of the beauties of it, is that, you know, bad things happen all the time, really bad things, and you should be um, held to account for mm. them. You have to be judged. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's done in open court, in front of you know a jury of your peers, complete strangers to you, nothing to do with you whatsoever, and they're drawn really randomly. They could be anybody, uh, good people, bad people, crazy people, sane people. Juries are all kinds of mm. mixtures of those, um, and the fact that the community is being drawn in like that to sit in judgment on somebody, um, even though it's like scientifically crazy. It may not be the, the safest way to judge somebody. I think it, there's a strange kind of beauty about that. Mm. Um, and that sometimes it, it, it works spectacularly well.
0: Yeah, I was thinking maybe a way to describe the, the mood of some of the pieces in your book is that you go down the darker corridors to look for, you know, where humanity might end up, hmm. or where you know you you always find, even if it's in scraps, there's humanity at the end of the
1: yeah. tunnel, basically. Yeah. I, I think I've written somewhere in the introduction about these are people who have failed a test. Hmm. Mm. Um, and there's something sad and poignant about that. There's something pathetic about it. And there's also ultimately something violent and threatening mm. about it, and mm. it robs other people of something. It can rob them of their life in the very worst examples. Um, but it's a complicated business, really. Um, and you know, I'm pretty sure one of the reasons uh, we're all attracted to them, most of us, anyway are attracted to crime writing and crime stories is that we put ourselves there and we wonder how we would um, react to this test and whether we would pass it. Mm. Um, And anyone is capable of failing a test. Well, you also kind of
0: write very candidly about yourself in the intro, essentially saying that you failed some sort of test Mm -hmm. or feel like you have or Mm -hmm. been, been told that you have. Been made to feel like that in recent years. Mm. um, How difficult was that to put across? Because it's quite, it's, uh, it's quite not confronting, but it's interesting. The book opening. Was it? I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, I you know, I feel like as as anyone who does who writes as often as as I guess myself as well as you Mm. has, you end up telling people way more about yourself than you perhaps realise, or or at least. Meant to, maybe meant to. So you've admitted to many things along the way, but in your life, or you've given little breadcrumbs to those that are interested. But this is sort of like a, oh yeah, here's where I was at in my life, page two or <laughs> three or whatever it is.
1: Um, what was the what was the thinking behind that? Oh, it just seemed to fit. It just seemed to belong. It just seemed to be accurate to the piece of writing that I wanted to achieve in mm. that introduction. Uh, I love writing an introduction. Mm. Really like it. Yeah, um, I, I mean, as a, as a you can to, tell. <laughs> yeah, it's a chance to think about, think about what you've written. Mm. And yeah, to frame it somewhat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a chance to write another kind of wider narrative mm. about the collection of writing which is in that book. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, i I I I tried not to think about oh. People will read this. Um, I just kind of avoided that that fact, and tried to be obedient to the um, responsibility of writing something which 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 uh, I, I felt I felt needed to be written. Um, I thought that the book, uh, the introduction to the book, did require me to. Reveal some things about myself or the way I felt
0: in mm. life at that time about why you might have maybe seen yourself mm-hmm. in those pages mm-hmm. in those other pages
1: mm-hmm. yeah. it seemed to fit yeah if, if you know the book had been another kind of subject entirely, then it, it, w- it would have been an ill fit and mm-hmm. it, it would have been nonsense <laughs> to have done so yeah yeah um, and yeah, uh, again it was, it was not so much an impulse. It was a responsibility, I thought. And um, the fact that people are reading it, uh, oh, well, what can you do?
0: (laughs) The comedian, I think this comedian Frank Skinner, I learned this from, he's got a really good podcast about poetry that he's just started. And um, he was saying that, like, so if there's 99 poems in a book, Hmm. they're individual poems, but the 100th poem is the book itself, like that the whole collection becomes... A single poem basically by being and so I thought about that a bit like when you were talking about enjoying writing an introduction and framing it it's like wrapping up the the book all those pe- those are separate pieces in that book but the intro was basically what makes them a book, or mm. explains why they were collected mm. as one single piece. Mm. You know,
1: I hadn't a, heard that Frank Skinner theory. It's a good one.
0: I like it. Yeah, I, th- I, I can't. I just can't remember whether it's his theory or he's quoting someone. You know, but that's where I heard it. He's got this great poetry podcast where he just sort of picks a, you know, anything from Shakespeare to a very modern poet, and just spends, heart, you know, and does a, a section on the Beats and stuff, just episode by episode. He's a lifelong poetry fan, and he's got great insight, hmm. and he reads brilliantly hmm. and he has great examples and wisdom around poetry he's just super passionate about it but yeah that was certainly came from his lips but whether it's his original thought but i, I like it too i've started reading poetry books and with that in mind hmm. you know yeah, thinking I like about that.
1: it i like that i mean introductions can serve uh, other other uh, purposes though um you know a few years ago i edited and published Anthology of poetry called the Friday Poem, and obviously, well, not obviously, but I I didn't write any of the poems in it. Mm. It was by, you
0: know, all the poets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you chose them, yeah, originally, yeah, 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 and then again for the book,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd whittle down the the best, yes, uh, for this book, the Friday Poem, and and but anyway, the point is that yeah, I wrote an introduction for that, and um, you know that was serving a different purpose because obviously. my thinking has got is completely irrelevant to the poems. Mm, mm. You know, uh, these poets just wrote what they wrote, um, but um, it was an exciting uh, opportunity to enter the genre <laughs> of writing an introduction to a literary work. Mm. Uh it's a great genre, especially uh, well the one I'm familiar with, uh, one familiar with is in New Zealand. And, you know, Alan Curnow's introduction to the 1960 Penguin Book of New Zealand Verse yeah. is like this all-time classic. Uh, Ian Weddy's one in 1985 is another great one. Um, Arthur Basting did one in around about 1970. And there's various other examples too. And these, these 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 some of them are masterpieces. Curnow's yeah. one is a complete masterpiece. Ian Weddy's one is super interesting. He's kind of anticipated a lot of the things in our culture I think by including for the first time in an anthology of, of, of New Zealand poetry a vast selection of uh, poems written in te reo. Mm. and that was very challenging at the time it was a kind of test I suppose and some New Zealand writers could be said to have failed that test by finding the inclusion of these poems patronising and absurd and if you couldn't if the editor in Weddy couldn't read Torrio, mm. what the hell was he doing? Mm. Um, and all these kinds of other objections, which are probably, you know, certainly rational, but they, they don't stack up anymore. So witty, witty was um, he anticipated the times with that book. Mm. Anyway, I love those introductions, mm, mm. and and um, I thought, gee, you know, can I? Um, <laughs> what can I do? What yeah. You know, I've been looking forward to writing that introduction for years. Right, yeah. Because I I knew pretty early on uh, with the Friday Poem and the poems that I was publishing every week that there was going to be, somewhere down the track, probably a book in this. Yeah. Um, yeah, just I a wanted to th- collect it, you know, as a, as a showcase of poetry mm. being written in New Zealand in those years. In that time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, th- yeah and
0: did. there was some really, I mean, it's a great book because there's some really interesting sort of developments and trends that you helped capture. You yeah, know, as, yeah. As, the, as, the, as oh. basically the person, you know, choosing the pictures to put on the gallery wall. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. What's that terrible word? Curating. Yeah, so that's why I was avoiding it, but yeah, evoking, avoiding it, but evoking it. Good on you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was. It, it just seemed to sort of occur at that time uh, that I was editing, editing the uh, book section. Uh, that these kinds of poets and poetry was coming out. Mm. You know, and it was a particular kind of time. It was just a coincidence that I was there. Um, but anyway, yeah, that introduction uh, well, we had did... very little to do with myself and was really this attempt to sort of think about. Um, poetry being produced in New Zealand in those years. Mm.
0: Where did, where did, how did you find poetry? Like when did it come oh, to you? Yeah, when did it come? Well, uh, can you remember um, a couple of key things? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I can actually. Um, um, I did a school exam when I was like seventeen, and uh, you sit down and you open it up. And they had uh, a poem by Allen Ginsberg I'd never heard of before. I think it was called Sunflower Sutra. Mm -hmm. It's not a very long poem. Uh, It's about walking alongside some derelict railway tracks in California. And he's with Jack Kerouac, who I'd never heard of either. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of weeds and rocks. It's a kind of very shabby Situation, nothing's going on, and growing out of the middle of these tracks uh, is a sunflower. And Ginsberg is like stunned by the sudden, abrupt symbol of beauty and the way it's glowing. And he finds, you know, this a uh, kind of a metaphor for life, I suppose, and, and a cosmic experience. And that oh, was the most. Uh, it was just the most mind-blowing piece of writing to read. And I just thought, wow, who, who the hell is this guy? and What where, what tradition has this come from? Are there mm. other things that he's written? <laughs> Who's Jack Kerouac? Uh, and yeah, it was, it was so exciting. And the way he'd written it, the composition, the short lines, uh, wouldn't have been a single polysyllable in the whole poem. Everything was totally easy to read. Mm. It was extremely readable. That was the thing about it. It wasn't like you know a mathematic that you had to decipher it was real simple and incredibly powerful and beautiful and um, mm. I feel like um, I feel like I kind of grew up in the
0: last vestiges of the great Kiwi cultural cringe I've sort of hmm. you know feel like that's largely gone now hmm. uh, f- most and almost entirely for better of course but hmm. poetry was a great leveler for me and seeing that you know, we had New Zealand poets that, in my mind, absolutely competed with and bettered international poets, and I didn't feel that. Probably because I was conditioned to not feel that, is what I mean mm. about novelists and so forth. Mm. For a while, I do now, mm. but yeah, I wonder if you had a similar thing where the you know the great Kiwi poets. Yes, yeah, sort reading, of. You know, it's, you can find a Kiwi Ginsburg or better than.
1: Yeah, no, definitely yeah. sort of. Mm. Uh, 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 again, when I came to. Uh, Wellington and, and got this wage for working in a warehouse mm. uh, sure I bought the typewriter and spent most of the rest of my money at Coulter's Bookshop mm. secondhand bookstore and you know I, I, I got I, I got a book of my first book of Ginsberg's there it's called Empty Mirror it was the poetry collection before Howl mm. really God but I also bought uh, about three copies of Landfall published in the early 70s I thought well this this looks interesting, there's a whole bunch of different things, poetry, short stories, essays, book reviews Um, terrific so I took them home and oh I I vividly remember uh, the first time I had read Bill Manhire and and that was in in those landfalls. Mm. I'm just thinking god almighty that? Fantastic! That was fantastic. It had he had the uh, his famous naked horse poem, yeah, yeah. one of those. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but like even smaller lines than Allen Ginsberg, like three three words to a line. Uh, some lines were seem to be in my memory anyway. Just an ampersand. Mm. Again, real small words. Uh, the high
0: one I rem- remember is the Wingatui. Three oh, lines. that's a
1: great poem. three lines. Yeah. Oh, that's a great poem. Jeez, yeah. God. Very elliptical. Yeah. Uh, not as, you know, they weren't as accessible I, or anything as Alan Gins- as, as the Sunflower one by Ginsberg, but incredibly beautiful. And yeah, that was that was a powerful message, I guess, uh, because this would have been would have been the the, the first time, in a, in a sense, probably I was like experiencing New Zealand literature. I would have mm. been eighteen, I guess. Mm. Yeah, formative. Yeah, I'd never hitherto, you know, considered there was a New Zealand literature because I was just a moron who didn't read anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I grew up thinking New Zealand literature was Barry Crump. Right. Which, Did you? Know, you? Yeah. yeah. Which I, is because I grew up in Hawkes Bay with mm. a dad who was a car dealer who got given a free Barry Crump oh. book because oh. they had Barry Crump doing the Toyota, oh. you know, the Hilux launch.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have even thought that. I, I, I know,
0: but I, it's not a bad thing to. It wasn't a bad thing to take on board. I quite enjoyed some of his books, but it's funny that that was probably when I think about it. Yeah. But then I was straight into James K Baxter and Sam Hunt and huh. Carl Stead and things, you know, Manhire things like that. Sure. When I was reading, you know, the poetry of Leonard Cohen and Ginsburg and and I just saw those as a match, but this Barry Crump book stuck out as, oh, that's not like the other novels I've read. It's mm. funny how I felt that way.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I, I felt real lucky to have uh, discovered Landfall and discovered mm. Manhire in particular. Mm. But uh, gee, you know, the, well, when I interviewed they had man, a lot of when, great things
0: when I interviewed Bill for this podcast, oh, I, yeah. I basically felt like. Um, uh, someone asking Bob Dylan to play you know, Mr Tambourine Man and then, <laughs> and then can you also do blowing in the you know, I kept, it was sort of like yeah. hard not he was reading poems for me uh, and for whoever listened to it but it was hard not to feel like, you know, do your greatest hits can I have this one, can I have mm. this one and I haven't experienced that with other poets you know, I just let them, I might prompt them and say, can you read something, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was hard not to <laughs> mm. it, he uh, was very decent about it, but it was the first time I sort of felt that too, I, mean, I you know you have several poems that I know, that I know by heart, mm. and titles that I know, mm. and I want to hear them in your voice. Well, he's yeah. a legend, isn't
1: he? And he's yeah. earned that legend.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I, 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 I've, I've cheered him in a couple of um, literary events. And and he's good fun
0: too. Oh, oh, good, he's good
1: terrifically <laughs> good fun. But uh, you know, they, they, they made a huge impression on me actually to, mm. to hear him read his work. Uh, in front of an audience, and to hear the cadences of it and the pausing of it, where he ends a line with his breath, mm. that kind of thing. And and the one in particular poem that he read that I you know almost remember and cherish, really, um, I think the session was on Antarctica, mm-hmm. where he had gone, I went subsequently. And a real turning point for me was Bill's poetry. Was that after that early discovery of him and just finding him fantastic? Mm. Probably in the years afterwards, uh, he began. Uh, 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 the things of his that I was reading anyway, I w- was baffled by and didn't like and didn't know what they meant. And it did seem like a mathematic that mm-hmm. I had to decipher, and I was too goddamn dumb and really started to quite dislike his work for quite some time, you know and almost feel angry about it because, you know, it was making me feel stupid. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you always feel angry when you feel stupid. And um, and then I came across, you know, because I'm not, like, buying every collection he's, he's yeah, put yeah. out or anything. Like that. I'm not, not a scholar. But then I came across uh, his poem about the victims of Erebus disaster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, which is an incredible poem and extremely easy to follow was not was not a mathematic. and uh, that really changed my way of thinking about Bill and Mm. started reading uh, other poems of his more closely and and once more finding him a, a complete genius really but, but yeah i got him to ask him to read that one yeah yeah live well, that's, once and that's, that's, gee, that's, it was, it was uh, yeah amazing. It, was, uh, it was really profound yeah. there was this long um deep silence after he finished mm. you know he like sat down and it's up to me as the chair to go. Well, to the next question yeah, is. Yeah, so I yeah. Thought, No, I'm just going to sit here. What's your favourite colour? Yeah, we we all just sort of sit there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, left, yeah, like, left I don't it know, sixty seconds or something before speaking.
0: Yeah, amazing. Um, and but there again, like that's you. In, in terms of you discovering that poem when you did and feeling what you felt about it, that's also a version of, um, just finding the humanity at the end of the tunnel, isn't it? Really. Is it? Well, wow, feels like it to me. Really. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have to. Um, you've mentioned chairing literary events. You've done that a bit. You've been involved in them. On yeah. Them. What What are your favourite kind of moments, or uh, you know, the best people that you've been lucky to introduce and chair and so oh, forth? Gee. Because you've done it a lot. Yeah,
1: I have done it a lot. Uh, yeah, Manhattan was definitely mm. a highlight. Uh, oh, a few years ago. At the Going West Literary Festival in West Auckland, um, I chaired Charlotte Grimshaw and C.K. Stead together. Oh, will there be
0: a repeat of that this year? Do you think? I shouldn't think so. <laughs>
1: no, that, Are you that, worried that if there is, you'll get the call? I would welcome it. Yeah. That was at the beginning of of mm. things starting to to um, go publicly right. Um, awry wow. With them and. Near the beginning of Charlotte, um, Charlotte's new ways of thinking about her dad and right. her mum as well. Because she and mentions you. So that, that was a that was a that was a
0: memorable. Mm, um, she mentions event. that in the book. I mean, have you read the yes. memoir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it's does, interesting she, you bring that up because I mean, she mentions it as just a, a, a fact as much as anything. Like mm. it's not a, a a huge spoiler. to it doesn't lead anywhere in particular but yeah, yeah no, right it, it, was, it was i didn't realize it
1: was so significant it was a significant event really um it was the first time charlotte had spoken publicly about mm. uh, not all being well in the household according to her mm. and uh, there was one particular moment she was very hesitant about it she didn't she didn't like sit there and just you know, it came flooding out. She was very hesitant about it. She's very respectful towards Carl and her mom as well. She loves both of them. This is not some sort of book of revenge or hostility. So she was certainly very hesitant, and um, she. But she said something about, you know, I emerged from a chaotic household, and Carl. When she finished that sentence, leaned into the microphone and said, you were the chaos.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was a, that was a significant <laughs> moment. Yeah, yeah. I think she quotes it in the book. Yeah,
0: she does. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's true. It's like, so yeah. yeah.
1: That, but that that, 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 that that was a really fascinating one. Mm. Um, and they're both, you know, terrific writers are in, the, in their own way. Mm. Um, Terrific writers, and it's you know. I mean, I saw you cheered Carl a number of times. I was going to say I saw you in Wellington
0: talk with him a few years ago, and I thought
1: it was because I
0: that actually gave me, um, and Mm -hmm. I guess I thank you for that because you did such a good job of it. But that actually gave me an in to him that I felt I didn't have. Because okay. I've read some of his poems I haven't read, and I've read some of his criticism and essays. I haven't read any of the novels. Hmm. I really should read Smith's Dream, if nothing else. Yeah, it's real good. Yeah, I'm sure. And I, and it's sort of one of those things. I'm well aware of it and have been for ages, but hmm. I haven't got to it. But I've always just gone with the, you know, oh, he's, he's so resting bitch face and grumpy. And he was funny in that session. And he was super funny. He was funny. super funny I, and he was, you know, was sharp and and... Interesting, mm. you know, and I really, I really warmed to him through you cheering that. And oh, that's went, nice. And you know, I haven't done much about it. Like I haven't gone and grabbed Smith's dream, or well, you don't have to but, do anything about it. But it, that's right; it was its own experience. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So yeah, I, he's, I,
1: he's he's very, very funny.
0: Yeah, and I got the feeling you guys had yeah. done that before, or would we're go good, on to do it since. We're yeah. good friends, I yeah. think, and that, yeah. that's
1: been a real, real privilege to get got to have known Carl and Kay. They've been really first-rate friends to me they're wonderful people and yeah super funny they're always you know they move in laughter those two
0: mm, and i mean however i don't know what will happen with that book whether it will lead to any sort of re-evaluation of him but um on any level but i mean he's he's one of the pillars isn't he like you talk about new zealand literature and mm-hmm. i think i always think like just in terms of there's a guy who knew Janet Frame. There's a guy who, you know, as as well as his own works. Mm. I've thought about this when I, you know, when I interviewed Tony Joe why I thought there's a guy who knew Elvis Presley. Hmm. You know, that's that's it, kind of unreal when the voice down the line has
1: interacted with someone that's, yes, that's that right. big. That's right. Yeah. I mean, Carl. Carl. Like. Man-hier has mm. earned his legend because yes. he's been around and he's done... The work. <laughs> he's done the work. He's, he's worked real hard and he's done the work. But, yeah, uh, I mean, he 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 dates back to a time with his writing where he had this involvement with Frank Sargison, mm. Janet Frame. Mm. Kevin Island. Yeah, Kevin, exactly. And, and, and this was, like, essentially... You can't say that nothing went on before, but it was essentially the beginning, yes, really, yes. Of, of a New Zealand literature being formed in this yeah. country. And he was there, and he knew those people. And it, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's ancient history. It's, yeah, you it's, could
0: it's, say he helped birth the actual scene. He sure did. Yeah? He was there. He
1: was present. Yeah. And he learned from these people and, you know, um, and 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 frame being there, you know. Mm. It, I often sort of see people and social media and that kind of forum saying oh you know to hell with uh, Sargison and Stead and mm. all these other guys Frame is the one genius she's the one who wipes the floor with them and this is a, that being that's a very coarse way of putting it it's just a stupid summary mm. however there is something accurate about it she was yeah. a genius yeah. and they but they um, they acknowledge that you know uh Sargison and Carl uh, yes, uh, that, that, you know they're that, that, that um, uh, you know Carl Carl doesn't Carl doesn't um, Carl doesn't go in for self-loathing mm. he thinks he has written some good work you know um, but he um, he acknowledges that he was in the presence of genius mm.
0: that's, that's quite interesting in that f- Janet Frame thing it's a little bit comparable I reckon to uh, how people bring up Jenny Mitchell's name you know, like, you know, screw these dudes, what about her? And it's like, well, all those guys you named think she's fucking great, mm. you know, and we're honoured to share the stage with her, and I don't think uh, she's, you know, I don't think she's going without her juice. I think people think she's amazing, mm. and you're allowed to think both, you know. You, it doesn't have to be Joni Mitchell or Bob Dylan. It can be both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, may, maybe she deserves a little bit more than some of the dudes got, but in general... And maybe that's true of Janet Frame. Well, Janet's revered. Yeah, I would have thought so. Rightly so. Yeah. Incredible output. Yeah. Yeah, again, um, prolific. Lots of, not just good work, lots of work.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the orthodoxy in New Zealand literature is that we've had two writers in possession of genius, and that's Mm. Catherine Mansfield and Janet Frame. Mm. So that's not a bad legacy. I don't think she's been downplayed. No, no. No, um, well we've had quite a big chat, we've,
0: yeah. got, we've gone for just a little bit longer than the half hour that you hoped, um, <laughs> is there, I've, en- I, I've, I've enjoyed getting to meet you this way, is there anything that you wished I'd asked you?
1: Gosh no, no, but uh, I really, uh, I, I, I was much more, uh, I much more enjoyed talking about other writers and yeah, yeah. other books, uh, it's just so sort of more interesting, you know, uh, than talking about yourself. But uh, no, um, you've been wonderful company um, thank you for talking to me and, you know, wanting to really. It's really nice of you.
0: Yeah. Oh, thanks very much. I'll turn this off.
1: That's what you make it. Can